If I told them once, I told them a hundred times. But spinal tap first, and puppet showed up. It's a morale builder, isn't it? We're not going about to do a free-form jazz uh, exploration in front of a festival crowd. Welcome back for another visit here at The Quiet Village. I am your host, Digitiki, coming to you direct from digitiki.com, broadcasting from deep within the jungly heart of The Quiet Village. I've got my Mai Tai right here. I don't know if you can hear that. I've got my Mai Tai, and I'm ready for a wonderful show. I have a wonderful guest coming on, Jordan Rychek, who is the producer of LA's new Exotic Con event that's happening June 23rd, 24th, and 25th in Los Angeles. And it, it uh, promises to be quite an exciting ride for tiki lovers. <laughs> ride, event, well, whatever, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun for tiki lovers out there. But first, before we get started, I do want to play a little bit of music uh, before uh, Jordan comes to visit the Quiet Village. One of the first things I do want to say, and I I really don't mean to start the show off with a downer, but I just have to say it. Uh, It's very sad news that we lost Astrud Gilberto, the voice of the girl from Ipanema. June 6th, 2023, she passed away at age 83, and she left behind this wonderful, wonderful legacy of of music. She was the face and the voice of an entire genre of music, bossa nova. And there aren't many people in music, doesn't matter what genre, there aren't many people that, that are actually pointed to as the ambassador for a genre. There's a lot of people that are examples of a genre. They can they can do kind of a back-end representation of a genre, but there is very few people that are immediately come to mind uh, as the the voice of a genre, an entire genre. Martin Denny, of course, for Exotica, um, but Astru Gilberto for Bossa Nova. <clears throat> and I did feature some music of hers from my Bossa Nova uh, episode several episodes back. In fact, maybe I should do an Astro Gilberto uh, tribute episode. Um, but one of the interesting things was that she was never really a vocalist per se. Um, there's the story goes that her husband Joao Gilberto was recording the girl from Ipanema for the first time. She was in the studio with him. And they needed someone to lay down the scratch vocals. They didn't have a vocalist yet, so they needed someone to lay the vocals down. And so his wife, Astrud, uh, stepped in and sang the vocal. And everybody that heard it liked it so much, they kept it. And boom, that song went internationally huge. And of course, her voice was a major part of the beautiful sound of that song. So I'm going to play two two rather rare tracks by uh, Estru Gilberto. I'm not going to play The Girl from Ipanema, the, the original track. I'm going to actually instead, I, I dug a little bit. In 1970, she released, a ja- uh, she released a Japanese album in which she sang about half of the album, Bossa Nova songs, in Japanese. Now that is a feat because I, I would think that even phonetically, even if you, you don't speak the language, but doing it phonetically would be extremely difficult for Japanese, but she did it. So I am going to play from the 1970 release. I believe the album is called, what is it called? I believe it's called Gilberto Golden Japanese Album, of all things. And this is Astru Gilberto in 1970 singing 
The Girl from Ipanema in Japanese, right here on The Quiet Village.
I've been waiting for a lifetime of seeing someone like you to share all my dreams. And if this is too much to ask, won't you please be my own? Or is it too great a chance? Must I go on dreaming on? Oh, Delilah, please don't let me despair. Send me someone to love and to
Big applause right there. Ima Sumak live from the Russian tour 1961. And right before that, we heard um, Mona Fong from the album Mona Fong Meets Carding Cruise, or I think it was originally released under the title um, From Hong Kong, The Voice of Mona Fong, and that was a track called Delilah, and a lot of um, exotica artists have uh, done that version of Delilah. Mona Fong is one I didn't know, uh, and that was kind of brought to me uh, by online, by um, a Facebook group called, I believe it's called Exotica Cool and Unusual Music is a Facebook group, and people are posting all the time in there, and somebody posted uh, CDs by Mona Fong, and I had to look her up. Apparently, she was a well-known singer from Shanghai who became very famous, uh, and she also became a producer, a film and TV producer as well. And that, I, I'm not sure if that was her first album or not. Maybe maybe not, but um, that was definitely, apparently, a huge hit. So that's new to me. Um then before that, we had another one that was brand new to me, also posted in that same forum. And again, I'm, I am not too proud to say I don't know some of these acts. And it's nice when somebody posts something and I just go off down a rabbit hole. Like, who are these people? That was a brand new modern uh, group called Marshmallow. Actually, the group was called The Sweet Enoughs. And there are 2020 album Marshmallow, or Marshmallow, that's how you spell it, but everybody always says Marshmallow, and that was the title track. Very new, modern, kind of post-exotica, I guess you'd call it, but I really dug the record uh, anyway. So that, again, two new things, uh, Mona Fong and The Sweet Enoughs, brought to me from an online forum somebody posted, so thank you guys for posting that. Right before that, we heard two by the late Astrud Gilberto. Um, that was commemorating her passing June 6th. Uh, at the top of the set, we heard the Japanese version of Astrud Gilberto actually singing in Japanese her big hit, The Girl from Ipanema, from the 1970 album, Gilberto Golden Japanese Album. And right after that, we heard another very rare Astrud Gilberto uh, track, uh, it's called Number One to the Sun, and it's actually from an Eastern Airlines promo. Believe it or not, again, I went down a rabbit hole, and by chance, online, I found this. Somebody had posted the tracks from this Eastern Airlines vinyl promo, and it was background music, a lot of it. There's just her kind of, you know, doing that, and some of the other tracks were just complete music and then the very last phrase was her saying fly eastern you know so it was meant for voiceovers and stuff like that but it was really interesting to find that okay now let's move on to our interview those of you who live in los angeles or are near los angeles you might have heard this you might not have heard this yet there is a brand new tiki weekend event premiering in los angeles it is L.A. Exoticon with a K, and it is downtown L.A. in the, uh, oh gosh, uh, Wiz Domes, which are these giant domes. And it is, uh, looking at the lineup, it, it proves that it is, it, it promises to be a real exciting event. And I have the producer of the event with me right now. 
welcome. I am here with Jordan Rychek. And if you don't know that name, you will know it after June 23rd, 24th, and 25th of 2023. Because he is the producer and the the grand exalted mystic poobah of LA's <laughs> own, own Exoticon. Welcome, Jordan. Aloha. Aloha, Marty. Thanks for having me on. I am really grateful because I know that your schedule has got to be crazy, and I'm really grateful to have you on. I really wanted to uh, to get the listeners in on Exoticon because this is a cool event. It's one that I thought LA needed for quite some time. I mean, there's a lot of Southern California events, but there isn't an LA proper. You know, Tiki kind of started here with Don the Beachcomber back in the the uh, the 30s, but um, uh, let's talk about you. You are um, you kind of just came out of nowhere and exploded on the scene, so to speak, uh, for a lot of people. Um, those of you who remember Oceanic Arch, which recently closed, they had multi weekend events with um, with auctions and stuff. Jordan and his gallery, Peekaboo Gallery, was the one behind it. So let's. Jordan, tell me how you got into Tiki in the first place, because everybody has a different story, and it's always interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's true. There are so many sort of entry points for people. Um, I do think for people that that grew up around it, it, it has this extra, I don't know, something very special. It's certainly what happened with me. Um, I'm, I'm from uh, Miami, Florida. And, and Miami really, or at least, you know, Florida is kind of like the second hotbed of the Tiki world. Um, it was, you know, Sven basically, uh, applies it to any, you know, warm, uh, vacation spot is usually <laughs> where these things propped up. Um, it's actually not true because you could look at Cleveland and places like that, where it also works really well when it's cold, mm-hmm. um, cause it's a great escape, but, um, Certainly Southern California and South Florida, or actually all through Florida, um, you know, there was a lot of tiki in the, in the fifties, uh, and tropics era, um, uh, Hawaiiana even earlier than that, um, in both, both, you know, sort of regions, but, um, but in Florida, there were a lot of places, obviously the Maikai is, is one of the main ones. And, um, but right outside of my, my, childhood home in North Bay Village, Florida, uh, in Miami, um, there was a restaurant called The Luau, not related to The Luau, Steve Crane's Luau uh, in Beverly Hills, but it was a fantastic spot. And it was literally like a few blocks away from our house on a causeway. Wow. And, you know, as a kid, um, there were two sides of the restaurant. There was there was the bar and the restaurant. And back then, this is like in the you know 70s, so it was always verboten to, to, you know, when we'd walk into the restaurant, I'd, the bar just always seemed more magical to me, probably because it was before my alcoholism kicked in. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just the bar seemed super magical. It had like a, a, a backlit under bar and and, you know, the lamps and everything. the restaurant was also beautiful. But for some reason, the bar was just wonderful. And, uh, I, you know, I'd, my mother would be holding my hand cause I'd be struggling to like, you know, I wanted to go in the bar and see it. And she, would, you know, you're, you're not supposed to go in there. I'd break away and run in there around and she chased me. And, you know, I loved that kind of stuff. And of course the Mai Kai was incredible. Tiki gardens in, uh, St. Pete was really amazing. We would go there, but, um, I grew up going to, uh, Disney world a lot because my dad, um, was in the construction business and actually built a couple of hotels, uh, right outside the Disney property. Cause his partners had sold Disney a huge portion of the land. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it wasn't revealed that it was Disney until they closed in on the deal. Mm. And the minute they found out, they looked at the zoning and they said, okay, well, here's the Disney property line. Let's start building hotels around it. Good idea. So, yeah, it was, it was really fun. So, you know, in the, in the, you know, early seventies. I mean, I was super, super young then I was, I was born in 69, but, um, but we used to go there all through the seventies and, and, you know, certainly the Tiki room and things like that. But the Polynesian resort to me was just so incredible. 
And um, I just gravitated towards that style. And then years later, um, I discovered Martin Denny finding a, a, you know, old 45 at my grandparents' house. And that kind of warped my brain and rewired it. You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's like, you know, uh, Jim Morrison, when he talks about his fragile eggshell mind was penetrated by the, uh, Indians on the side of the road. You know, I was penetrated by, by Tiki and exotica culture, I guess. Um, so years later when I, when I, I went to film school at, at, uh, uh, I transferred from NYU and I went to USC and then Cal arts and, um, through a very good friend, Doug Miller, whose collection we're featuring in the auction. We'll get into that later. Um, I was introduced, reintroduced to the culture here in, in Florida, but I mean, in uh, California, but in, I don't know, it must've been around like 79, 80 or something. He brought me to oceanic arts mm. and, and uh, that really blew my mind because this was Santa's workshop where they made all the toys, you know? Yeah. That, that's a good way of putting it, too. Yeah. Oceanic Arts, especially back then, before the 2000s, when Sven wrote his book, um, they weren't open to the public. It was it was a commercial um, decor house. Really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. you, you oh. It's not that it was forbidden to go there. It's just it wasn't known. No one knew what it was. It was just this place that you had to know as like an art director. So basically, you know, to go in there back then, they didn't have all the tchotchkes and stuff. It was an industrial commercial supply house. Hmm. And um, Bob and Leroy were like witches to me. I mean, it was just these guys were like, it was just kind of amazing. So, of course, over the years, um, when I eventually moved, came out to college and, and moved out here, um, I revisited Oceanic Arts and, and, you know, the love affair definitely was full on, you know, full speed ahead. And I, you know, another thing that was incredible about Southern California um, was the uh, thrift store culture was oh, so yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about it, it's like between the film industry and the music industry and um, defense industry, there was a lot of uh, middle-class money right mm -hmm. and that's why so many of these restaurants and bars flourished but also the culture of you know hi-fi and mm -hmm. um you know lps and all of this stuff so you know when that generation started to retire and die off the thrift stores in the 80s were just mind-blowing it's mm -hmm. like every time you went to a thrift store you were it was cutting away the strata of of society you know mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, the urban archeology span thing. And so, you know, my, I was, I was not just Tiki, but also Exotica or what eventually was known as Exotica or incredibly strange music. I, I just gravitated to, and I didn't know who a lot of these guys were. So it's just flipping through LPs, you know, it's like LPs were like what? 25 cents back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and they'd be, there would be like a red grease pencil, 25 cents on them, you know? So I always had like the materials to get all the grease pencil off, but that's how you discovered Esquivel because you went for the wild covers. Yes. You know, yep. and, and, you know, every once in a while you'd get one that it was a cool cover, but, but the music wasn't that great. And you'd put that one aside and then you discover some album like Esquivel was like, what? This was yeah. music that human beings listen to, you know? <laughs> um, so my music library was growing and I was getting more sophisticated with it. And, and that's really where a lot of between that and then Tiki, but I collect much more than Tiki. I just love stuff. You know, I just, yeah. the, you know, 20th century com commercial, you know, pop culture is just so incredible. So, you know, I collected a little bit of everything. Right on. And then you, you got to know Bob and Leroy really well, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I was, I'd go in there pretty regularly, just like anyone else. I mean, the place was so magical, mm -hmm. you know, they did always have like a waterfall and sound effects and things like that. And the Hawaiian music playing, and it always smelled of wood and bamboo and grass matting. So it was just this magical place to go. And Bob and Leroy were just so, you know, such wonderful characters, you know, that, that, uh, it was like taking a vacation to drive out to Whittier and see them, you know? So I did it a lot. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I used to take my kids when, uh, 
they wanted to go every weekend. Can we go to the tiki store? And we would just walk around and, <laughs> you know, and they would look and, you know, just, they just, it was, it was like total escape for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Kids really love the place. Oh yeah. You know, um, like in that Hill Hauser episode, you know, when Bob's <laughs> like, Oh, you're like the kids, you know, when he's, he's, he's like, cause Hill was a big kid, but kids just, totally get fascinated with that place that's why you know tiki culture is so immersive and and tiki design things like that i think it you know that's why the the tiki room resonates so much with kids i mean to this day it's like you know a lot of adults that are into other things that aren't in tiki aren't as enamored with the tiki room but you see young kids in there and they're just you know their mouths are open yeah (laughs) it is it's magical and it's it's really wonderful so now, fast forward to now, you decided to just just go for it full bore with Exoticon, which I got to tell you is impressive. So tell me about tell 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 actually tell the listeners about Exoticon here. <laughs> well, let me go. Let me go back a little further just because I, I do want to describe how we arrived where we are. Oh, if, okay. If you care to hear it. Yes, um, please do. Well, my, so I, I went to film school, but, but, uh, I ended up in animation at Cal arts. I just fell in love with animation. And so, uh, you know, my, most of my adult life, I mean, for 25 years, I was a director and producer in animation. Um, wow. and, and, you know, mainly working in development and things like that. But, um, you know, uh, so I've worked on pretty much everything for every studio. I had my own studio that I would subcontract to, but, um, I, I, you know, when animation was its most fun was I hooked up with John Chris Valusi, uh, working on the pilot for Ren and Stimpy. Oh my God. Yeah. And John and I, you know, were just, even though he's, I don't know, 15, 17 years older than me, whatever, we just became like best friends. And because we loved all the same stuff, we loved, you know, crazy music and the three stooges and Warner brothers cartoons and all that stuff. So, um, but my music collection was something that he really enjoyed. So he used to have these famous Friday night parties over at his house where all the animation people would come over and jam into this little tiny apartment on Woodman. And every Friday it would be like, you know, 300 people and then, you know, like filling up all the hallways and everything. And I would essentially DJ it. And, and, and it wasn't just, you know, Tiki and Exotica music. It was a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I love like both of us loved Frankie Lane and we loved, um, you know, Burl Ives. We still laugh listening to Burl Ives records because they're just so hilarious that this lummox is like, you know, playing these little (laughs) dainty songs and a little tiny ukulele. And, and, uh, that's how a lot of that stuff ended up in Ren and Stimpy was because it was basically our Friday night parties of just laughing about all this music. And uh, Enoch Light and, um, you know, um, uh, Raymond Scott. Like, of course, we loved Raymond Scott because of the Warner Brothers cartoons. But because of that, once Ren and Stimpy, after we did the pilot and it did so well, you know, we had free reign to, like, put in whatever we wanted. So that was why there was so much needle drop music. And literally, like, Ren and Stimpy was one of the first ones to have, you know, an audio take where if something weird happened, the, the, the needle got pulled off the record and that became a sound effect. Nice. And, and that's because we would do stuff like that. So it ended up in the show. Um, but uh, Raymond Scott was still alive when we were working on Ren and Stimpy. So we were able to license music from him. And uh, that's why there's Raymond Scott music in Ren and Stimpy. Oh, fantastic. So, and that also leads to, because people have been questioning, why is there Raymond Scott in Exoticon? And it's like, well, because I say so. <laughs> right. There's actually a rhyme and reason for it, but yeah, but yeah Ex- Exoticon is is not just tiki, and and that's one of the things that I think has been sort of confusing for the tiki community because they're not seeing a lot of tiki, but but uh, it is about the full spectrum of exotica and incredibly strange music, and it's fascinating because just what you said with you, everybody has varying tastes, so. Everything that's in this lineup is fascinating to me because it may not be literally tiki or like tie or, you know, thatch covered or have a tiki mm-hmm. on the cover of the, of the artist or 
associated with it, but it it's like you said, it's of that era and that kind of that universe where it all sprang from, which I think is wonderful. Well, I mean, you have to think of it this way, and this is this is certainly the way I'm approaching Exoticon, um, which I, I think we need to give credit where credit is due. The original Exoticon came out in '95. Um, if I, I'm sure your listeners are all over the place, but uh, if you're in Los Angeles, there's an incredible record store called Atomic Records. Oh yes, uh, yeah, owned by Steve Alper, a very good friend of mine, and and uh, uh, Strike uh, Josh Eck. Um, were the two guys that conceived of Exoticon in 95. And um, we were all good friends and we all loved this kind of music because we were all, you know, the weirdos always find each other. Um, they really did it as just a one shot. And, and you know, I was just talking with them recently and, and they were telling me how nerve wracking it was because they spent all this money and people didn't know what it was. And they, you know, even though they've been selling the tickets for months, I think they only sold about 50 tickets you Holy know, <laughs> and they were terrified they were going to like, you know, just be ruined by it financially. And then for whatever reason, the day of the show, thousands of people showed up and they could only fit 2000 people in there. And, and it was at the plaza. And hmm. uh, so they had to turn people away. But so it was a, it was a really incredible event. Combustible Edison was one of the main acts at the oh. time. Combustible Edison at the time. I mean, come on. They were so fantastic. Yeah. Um. But basically, uh, they were so traumatized by the event, they didn't care that it was successful. They're like, "We're never doing it again." Oh, and, that's um, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, um, I had spoken to them. Were they okay with me using the name? I changed it to a K for you know Contiki. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but basically, the timing seemed right, and I had planned Exoticon before the Oceanic Arts events because um, Peekaboo Gallery, my gallery, which deals in in just 20th century consumer pop culture. Um, I, I had planned to do a big tiki event. I had done one a few years earlier, if people recall the art of tiki sale that was at La Luz de Jesus, the, it was like the 21st anniversary. Yes. Yes. So there were two parts to that show that the art of tiki was Billy Shire and Otto doing the 21st anniversary of the art of tiki sale that Shag was kind of in and got his start with. Um, and then I had spoken with Billy about it and I had built this bar in my house. Um, and I had been collecting so much vintage Tiki that I had just storage lockers filled with it everywhere. And I put so much in my bar and I couldn't fit anymore that I wanted to sell it and I didn't know how to sell it. So I contacted Billy and I just thought, Oh, well maybe we can align these two shows. So there were two parts of that show. One was, um, art of Tiki. And then the other was No False Idols, which was my part of the sh show, which was all vintage tiki stuff. And that got bought up by Mark Sellers, who eventually used it in the decor for Max's South Seas Hideaway. Yeah, so, I actually w went to that exhibition. I remember that. Yeah. Wasn't it a great show? That it was, was like, mind-blowing. It was fantastic, yeah. Yeah, so you know, the plan was to do this Exoticon thing, and then, you know... Um, Bob and Leroy had contacted me about, they had seen what I'd been doing with Peekaboo and believe me, it was just as much of a shock to me as anyone else. I knew that they were going to have to retire at some point, but when mm -hmm. they asked me if I would, would do it, I mean, of course it was the honor of my life, of uh, course. but Exoticon got put on hold. But if you look at some of the early marketing and social media for Oceanic Arts, it says Peekaboo Galleries, Exoticon, presentation of aloha oa so in a way we we have done an Exoticon, you know 1.0 yeah uh, last year and so this is 2.0 this year i'll be there too you've got uh jason lee who i'm going to be performing with the martini kings you've got uh um you've got uh, reckless night orchestra right yes reckless night orchestra skip's got so many different groups uh yeah. you even have the blue hawaiians creep zotica the the things that that really blow my mind are the seminars with my buddy jeff chanel um doing uh, arthur lyman with arthur lyman's daughter Capiolani, uh, yeah. yes and uh you've got a an ema sumac 
presentation and and, and uh, Les Baxter presentation, Raymond Scott presentation, um, a whole thing about the Tiki Tea, and and of course stuff on oceanic arts. Uh, you've got Shag meet and greet with Shag and and uh, all the different bands. I, I it's just fantastic. I cannot wait to see it. Oh, people are going to be crying, Uncle. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the show all three days is absolutely jam-packed. I mean, one of the things in our marketing when it says choose your adventure, I mean, we literally mean that. It is nonstop music, symposiums, meet and greets. We have a, a Southern California bar crawl with Tonga Hut, yeah. Mermaid, and, you know, so, and they are featuring their drinks. Mm -hmm. um and uh we have a vendor village which with incredible vendors um tiki rob who doesn't show up everywhere is going to be there premiering new mugs custom lamps and furnishings and vintage clothing dealers and the way i've been describing it is as disneyland and mm -hmm. if you if you think of exotica and the world of exotica incredibly strange music and apply it to disneyland well when you want tiki you go to adventureland Right. When you want um, electronic music, Moog, uh, space themes, things like that, you go to Tomorrowland, or at least at one time you went to Tomorrowland. <laughs> now it's not so spacey. Yeah. But, uh, but at one time it was like you wanted the future. Well, you go there. Yeah. And and that's what the programming at Exoticon is. Um, it's It's designed to give you all the different flavors of the spectrum of Exotica. Um, if you use that as like an overarching title for everything, um, so and the, yeah. and the venue too. Tell oh well, wisdom. I mean, the thing is, we we had a few venues planned, or at least um, in the planning of where Exoticon would be, and you know because my background's in animation, I wanted it to also be visual and uh, immersive, and it's really hard to do in traditional venues, and. Um, our event producer, Art Cruz, you know, he's the one who brought up Wisdom to me because I'm I'm a hermit. I don't ever leave my house, so I didn't know what Wisdom was. <laughs> um, but when he brought me out there, of course, my reaction was the same as everyone else's. Like, oh, shit, downtown, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> it's like parking's impossible. And, you know, um, but when we went down there and saw the venue, I just lost it. I was like, this is unbelievable. It's like there's five geodesic domes on property and they have 360 projections all over them. And the largest one fits like 600 people. So, I mean, these are large domes. They're not tiny spaces. And mm -hmm. of course my mind just went to immediately, Oh my God, we can create all these visuals mm -hmm. to immerse people, not just have the stage, but also the full environment. I mean, we did that at OA. We, we basically turned the warehouse of OA into this kind of, we didn't want people to feel that they weren't in oceanic arts. We just wanted it to be this amped up version of it. Mm -hmm. So that's why you still saw the girders and the ceilings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but by lighting it properly and putting sound effects everywhere, it was almost like it made oceanic arts a Disneyland ride. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's what we're doing here. So we've filmed um, really incredible content <clears throat> for the domes where um, we have go-go dancers um, and we shot them in high contrast uh, silhouettes. So it's like a James Bond title sequence, but it's go-go girls and hula girls and warriors with spears and bongo, you know, guys playing bongos and, and space girls and all of that stuff. So when you're watching a particular show, you also have all of these projections going on and in between the shows and also featuring album covers of just related exotica. So it's incredibly immersive. That sounds absolutely wonderful i i cannot wait to check this out we we hope people come you know yeah. it's like one of those things where i mean it's it's the first everyone will tell you first year festivals are hard to do because mm -hmm. people don't know what they are but mm -hmm. um i mean the thing is people will be completely i i believe uh taken away when they go to this place because you're just going to have non-stop things to do um, and also, you know, we, we've built it so there's places to just sit down and relax and kind of just watch people walk by. So it's not like you're on your feet the whole entire time. But, um, you know, we'll have good food there and, and drinks, of course. Uh, and then we have an exhibition of vintage tiki 
um, because there's also a peekaboo auction of vintage tiki stuff, a lot of oceanic art stuff in it, a lot of Whitco and things that people right. know. And, and then historic, you know, then those, and they come from historical or, you know, like a top, uh, collectors like Doug Miller and Sven Kirsten has pieces in it. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even Mark Sellers, some of the extra decor that wasn't able to, um, fit into Max's. So if you missed buying something in the art of Tiki sale, because Mark bought it all, actually, we're going to have some of it for sale in this auction. So nice, fantastic. And, and you, and you can get the whole weekend or you can also get separate day tickets, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we have, you know, you save the most money if you get all three days and yeah. all three days of programming are completely different. Um, but you could also do single day passes as well. Um, and we have cool uh, merch, you know, right so on. one one of the things is like we have these beautiful rings that, you know, God willing, if the show does well and we're able to do it every year, we have these really gaudy it's like imagine a Super Bowl ring made of for Exotica. Yeah. So we have these rings that are Exotica one, Exoticon one rings, which um, they come with your three day pass, or you know you can buy them at the venue. Um, and every year we're going to change the design so you can look like Liberace. You know they they all will look completely different than each other. So um, and we made these cool medallions and things like that. T- Sven coined them as Tiki Bling. Tiki bling. Yes. Yes. I remember that. Hey, that is really cool. I, it's going to be a lot of fun. So where can people go to buy tickets now? Uh, tickets, you can find them. Well, if you go to www.exoticcon with a K dot, uh, dot com, um, you can find a peekaboo gallery. There's direct links, but, um, uh, or you can go straight to Eventbrite and, and buy tickets. Um, the thing is, is that all three days, the programming is slightly different. Mm-hmm. So on, on Friday, the key shows, I mean, we have incredible bands playing Martini Kings, Hula Girls, uh, Tikiaki Orchestra, the full orchestra, um, all of that stuff is going to be going on. But um, every you know a, a evening, there is a symposium about the main show, and then we have the main show. So for an example, on Friday... Um, there's going to be a Ema Sumac symposium with Damon Devine, who runs the um, Ema Sumac archives. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a bunch of her costumes, her dresses and capes and jewelry are all wow. going to be on display. Wow. Um, we're going to have an incredible uh, Ema Sumac onstage performance with Ego Plum with like, I think like a 12 piece orchestra oh. um, and a vocalist who does an incredible Ima Sumac um, style vocals um, and we'll have projections and everything. So that's going to be on Friday. And um, if you're at all intrigued by Ima Sumac, this will be a show you do not want to miss. Um, that's Friday. Then Saturday um, we're doing, we're reprising a show that we did at Oceanic Arts. It was a dinner theater show and we have a volcano and everything. So what we're doing is reprising it this year. I'm going to give a, an hour-long symposium on the history of the Tiki's theme park out mm. in Monterey Park. Oh, and, my goodness. Yeah, and that is an, a really fascinating presentation. Um, if you have the Oceanic Arts book, there's a really incredible chapter on the history of the Tiki's because I tracked down the family and I was able to get incredible photographs and information on them. So uh, we have a presentation on, on the Tiki's. It's really wonderful. And then right after that, we're going to have an, a simulated evening at the Tiki's theme park. Oh, my and, God. Really? Yeah. So the stage that we have is replicating Mount. I call it Mount Balls. <laughs> Mount Balls. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And if, and, and if you've looked up the Tiki's or know anything about the Tiki's, you know, it, it basically was the Watts Tower of Tiki. Uh, yeah. because Danny balls just built all this stuff himself with like gunite and chicken wire and stuff like that. So we recreated, um, the, the center volcano stage of, uh, the Tiki's and, wow. um, we have a Polynesian dance troupe. It's, uh, the dancing fire and, um, it, the, the host is Robert Lopez Elvez. Oh, um, nice. And, and he plays Frank Kula, the voice of the islands, who was the, MC at the Tiki's. Wow. Um, he wasn't, he was actually Mexican from Bacoima. 
Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but Danny was like, well, he's brown enough. Let's pretend that he's, uh, you know, Hawaiian. There <laughs> so you go. Yeah. That, that's why we got Elvez to, 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 to play that part. And he's basically the host that puts on this Polynesian floor show. And, uh, we, we have one of the original programs from the Tiki. So we recreate their actual, um, uh, program that you would see at one of the weekend shows at the Tiki's. Well, so, and, 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 well, that's not all. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not all, folks. I got I got a pitch here, man. Okay, uh, go for day, it. Day three, Sunday, is not a throwaway day. Now we are having the auction live that day, mm-hmm. um, but you can, you know, if you want to participate in the auction, you can still do it on your phone. You don't even have to be in the room. But we will have a live auction going on. But that's only in one spot. Um, all the rest of the shows and symposiums are going on that day. Obviously, we have Raymond Scott. Um, music that day with both ego plum doing his electronic group and it's going to do the electronic um uh, raymond scott music but then we also have uh skip heller and his group doing raymond scott but there's all kinds of other stuff happening octagonally yours and octagonally yours and um, <laughs> but the main show that evening is uh an evening with don randy um he was one of the founding members of the wrecking crew so Pretty much any 60s hit that you've listened to, whether it's Good Vibrations or um, These Boots Are Made for Walking, you know, you name it, um, he's played on it. And uh, that was, if for people that don't know, that was Phil Spector's session men and yeah. women that, that played uh, on almost every album. I mean, yes, the Beach Boys were musicians, but they didn't really play on their albums. That was the wrecking crew that did all that. Sonny and Cher, Mamas and Papas. They were the basic, you know, the recording session people that just got the 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 the, the phrase got coined, uh, the wrecking yeah. crew, probably because of the um the uh, Dean Martin movie. <laughs> but they they uh really do incredible stuff. And Don is just an incredible jazz guy. He owns the baked potato club in oh. uh yeah, in Studio City. Um, kind of, you know, uh, leading into Hollywood on Coenga and, um, he's 87 and he is sharp as a tack. He still does a residency twice a month at the, uh, baked potato with his group and he's incredible. Wow. And a lot of people don't know, but Don did, uh, first, you know, he played keyboards for Martin Denny, um, and knew Arthur Lyman and, and was involved with all those guys, Les Baxter playing mm-hmm. with them. Um, but he also did a lost Exotica album uh, with 2D Camerata that was on a small label. It was a demonstration record called Jungle Adventure. Yes. And, and uh, basically, I contacted Don and wanted him to be part of the show. And where I believe he fit into the show was that he did this um, this Jungle Adventure album, which he didn't even remember. I had to like show it to him. And he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that thing. It came out, it was called uh, 2020 uh, Sound, which was a precursor of uh, Quad. Oh, wow. So um, we're having him recreate that. But he also did all kinds of fun stuff. Like he did, um, when Rubber Soul came out, he did Rubber Soul Jazz. And then when Revolver came out with the Beatles, um, he did Revolver Jazz. So he's always done these cool fringe things. So we're going to have him recreate all that stuff on stage. He's going to have, I think a 12 piece orchestra. And, um, and then at at the end of the evening, he's going, or the end of his set, he's going to do all his wrecking crew hits. Nice. You know, that is definitely a show not to miss because it's just something he's one of the last of the Mohicans, you know, he's, you really got to catch him while he's still performing and, and, and trust me, I've seen him live at the baked potato a thousand times. It is never, I never walk out of there without a smile on my face. Fantastic. This is going to be crazy cool. So, um, I will have links, um, for people who want to get tickets and we will, um, hopefully see you there. I will be there. So somebody, I'll be having, everybody's having a meet and greet. I'm going to have a meet and grope. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to sound like a used car salesman, but I (laughs) really think you will, you will not be disappointed. It's going to be a, an onslaught of coolness. Thank you, Jordan. I cannot thank you enough for taking some time out of your incredibly busy schedule. Thank you very much. And I want to tell everybody, you guys have to come to this thing. It's going to be off the 
hook. Thank you, Marty. I mean, I'm also very, you know, honored that you're joining us and you're going to be playing part in this as well. Um, we're, we're new friends, but I have a feeling we'll be knocking back some cocktails together for a while. Right um, on. And, uh, but yes, I, I, I definitely want to thank your listeners for, for listening to this, um, you know, sort of pitch on what Exoticon is, but I, I do hope you join us because, you know, we're hoping to do this every year, you know, and it's one price for everything. So, uh, all the rum tastings, all the symposiums, you pay one price to get in and everything's included, you know, obviously cocktails and food and things like that you have to buy separately, but, but, uh, yeah. you know, this isn't like for every single symposium you have to pay for it. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of like a pat. That's why we're calling them passports. Kind of like what they call Disneyland. Yeah. You know? Fantastic. So. Well, it sounds like it's going to be an e-ticket, right? Yeah, well, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, thank you for, for joining us. And, uh, I will, I will see you next week in person. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Thanks for, uh, for having me on. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Jordan. Aloha. Okay, bye-bye. Well, my Mai Tai is empty. That means we've come to the end of another visit here at The Quiet Village. I want to remind you to visit The Quiet Village at any time by going to digitiki.com or you can get a complete rundown of all the tracks on this and all past episodes as well as tune into Quiet Village Radio, internet radio streaming Tiki 24-7. Until next time, and I'll remind you that I will be down at Exoticon on Friday playing with Jason Lee and the Dark Entities, as well as doing a meet and greet Friday night at 8.30, as well as a bunch of other things, too. Until next time, everyone, aloha. Aloha.